Welcome to Jackson Stays Home, a look at how one community, one county, has been affected and reacted to the coronavirus pandemic. My name is Scott Clow. I'm a morning show host in the city of Jackson, Michigan, and grew up in Brooklyn, Michigan, just 20 minutes south of my home and place of work. Even though my job is considered essential, we, like you, are practicing social distancing, and therefore all of the following interview pieces were done via phone. No doubt over the last month, you've compiled a list of things that you'll do when this is all over and life gets back to normal, or at least our new normal. In the meantime, we found ways to keep ourselves occupied, whether it's books, games, surfing social media, actually having conversations with the people we live with, or more than likely based on statistics, streaming. Comcast and Verizon Wireless report a drastic rise in video streaming from March 1st to March 30th, 38 and 32% respectively, according to CNBC. Aside from video streaming on Disney+, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, the list goes on and on, many have found respite from reality by watching musicians, comedians, storytellers, and actors who have set up cameras to live stream their talents on social media. Any way you look at it, we have found our escape from the reality that is COVID-19 by turning to artists and performers. And the place it comes home. You can get lost in a performance even if it's just for a short time and completely forget your surroundings. This type of distraction is what I miss. It may make us nervous to congregate in a bar, or a theater, or even a stadium. I miss the communal nature of live performances. The performers miss it too. The performers want and need to perform. It's part of our DNA to be seen and heard and get that instant feedback. This week, we talk to the artists, the performers, and those that host and book them, and find out what happens to the people who help us escape the everyday when they're confined to their home. First, listen to this. Now I picture myself in the hills of my grandpa, barefoot and smiling. As I run through the pines Down in the creek Both for swimming and drinking In the hills of my grandpa In the place they call home That is the Jackson Stays Home theme, Estel, by one of the most talented performers and artists I've ever had the pleasure of calling a friend. His name is Kevin Nichols, and my wife and I have followed him around to watch him perform either solo or with his band Blue Tuesday. One time he and I were standing outside of a place called the Deck Down Under off of US-12, and someone extended a hand and offered us a baby raccoon. True story. If you meet him, ask him. We didn't take the raccoon, but Kevin performed that night as he has many nights. I've got a 30-plus year career that is uh, primarily in the newspaper business as a graphic artist. Uh, but my sideline thing has always been uh, to be a musician. I've been, I've been playing music professionally for oh, probably, I would say, probably almost 40 years now as far as getting out and playing in front of people uh, professionally. Um, I'm also, for about the last eight years, I've been um, one of the uh, worship leaders in the ministry program at Westwinds Church in Jackson. Uh, so that's been something, uh, another place where I play music uh, on, a, on a pretty much weekly basis when we're, when we're in a normal scenario, which we are not in these days. How so, many gigs did you have scheduled prior to the quarantine and the ban on public gatherings? Well, uh, anybody that looks at my anybody that looks at my calendar at my kevinnichols.com website uh, would see that I usually play uh, uh, along with West Winds on most Sunday mornings and afternoons. Uh, usually, I had something happening just about every Friday 
uh, and Saturday night and getting into this warmer season you know I have a lot of things scheduled for even earlier in the week some Wednesday night things some Thursday night things I've, I've missed playing in front of people <laughs> I've really really missed it uh, it's definitely had an impact I have a lot of friends I have a day job but I also uh, I play music a lot and so it's nice supplemental uh, work to do for money uh, but I have a lot of friends who that's all they do is play music so I'm really feeling for them right now uh, praying for everybody praying for everybody obviously through all of this that we all get through it uh, and that we all work together and we all try to maintain our sanity what is it do you think that you miss the most you said you miss performing in front of people what do you think it is yeah. that you miss there's nothing that quite matches uh, the feeling that's uh, when you're playing in front of anywhere from five to 500 to 5,000 people. I've had the, the opportunity to do all those things. And man, the, the vibe you get back from people when you've done something that they respond to, they don't even have to make a noise. You just can feel an electricity in the air that, um, man, you just don't get when you're just... <laughs> Uh, you know, a lot of us right now have been posting videos or doing live stream videos of our music, and there's a huge difference between playing in front of a responsive crowd and feeling that interaction, hear them cheer, uh, see their faces out there compared to watching your camera screen or your computer screen and watch for little bubbles that pop up. And with my bad vision, I don't get to read those bubbles until I get done. So it's a completely different kind of disconnect from what actually playing live in front of people is like. There's, there's nothing like it. I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been doing this for over 40 years and I still get, I still get those little butterflies when I'm getting ready to take the stage. Uh, I know you do too. I still get that. I mean, there's, the, the first time you ever had a good response to something you did on stage, there's, a, there's just an electricity that goes through you, and it's no different now than it was 40 years ago. I mean, it still happens all the time. There's an emotion there that, that overtakes you, and so you, you really miss that right now. Um, the closest thing I get right now, and this is a great thing too, is you know playing guitar for my family here at home. There's, a, we, we, there's just a few of us in the house right now, uh, playing some guitar and having my granddaughters dance around and try to strum the guitar with me or pick up some spoons and try to make some noise percussively, you know, and that's great too. There's a great, there's an awesome element to that, but it's, uh, but yeah, the thing I, I do miss right now for sure. Uh, one of the things I really, really miss is making music in front of a, a, a lot of people. What is Kevin Nichols home field? As a full band, my band Blue Tuesday and I uh, would play regularly, uh, you know, for half the year during the, what we call our blues jam season at the Michigan Theater with Steve Tucker and his great team over there. Uh, you know, through fall into spring, we would always do monthly uh, jams and concerts there. And so that's, you know, I feel super comfortable on the Michigan Theater stage. That's a place I've played a lot of music and I miss that. We had to cancel one of the very first things that we had to cancel was that event, uh, the very last one that we were going to do of the season uh, at the end of April, uh, or at the end of, I'm sorry, at the end of March. God, we've been doing this for a while, haven't we? <laughs> is is yeah. there a little bit of creative angst that's associated now with not being around other creative people? Yeah, big time. I mean, my, my, my sister and my two brothers, I can't tell you enough how much I miss my bandmates in Blue Tuesday the only time we generally play i mean we very 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 rarely ever practice <laughs> we just because our schedules don't allow for it and so most of the time when we're playing with each other it's when we're showing up at a gig somewhere and we just plug in and uh so much of what we do is not rehearsed it's not thought through. it's literally that creative process you're talking about happening in every single moment that we're on stage for 45 minutes, two hours, three hours, whatever. Um, and man, I, I really miss that. I really, really miss that, 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 uh, connectivity with my fellow musicians. If you created an entire album right now during quarantine, what would the title of that album be? Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, I would say, oh, I would say maybe, uh, alone together, 
separate spaces maybe or something like that i mean yeah i I think alone together might be a concept to run with uh because again we uh we're because of today's i mean can you imagine what this was like during you know the, the early part of last century where you know people were dealing with the spanish flu and you just people around were just struck all over the world but you really couldn't communicate about it outside of probably the people right down the road from you or something or in the trenches next to you during the war where you know a lot of this started happening i mean right now we're able to actually if we miss our family we can call them we can text them we can facetime with them and so again that reminder is that even though we're Honestly, I'm in a household with my granddaughters and my my daughter-in-law and my wife, and we don't really see a lot of other people unless we got to run and you know get some groceries and be really careful when we do that. But it's hard to even recognize friends from 10, 20 feet away when you're at the grocery store when you have a mask on. But I mean, we're still able to communicate, and I'm hoping that's what's going to help us all keep our sanity. <laughs> I think part of what's keeping society's sanity together, when people need an escape, when people need that psychological release, they're turning to artists. Yeah, I like I said, I get a lot of I get a lot of messages from people, uh, either direct messages or private messages or notes on my Facebook page, uh, saying, "Hey, when are you gonna when are you gonna put video up again?" Or you know, I, I miss miss your music. I had a friend text me yesterday. Hey man, I really want to. I want you to put a concert on. I want to. I want to be behind you on that. What can we? What can we do? So let me interrupt trying you. Trying to come up with some ideas. Let me interrupt you right there. Is there any yeah. fear, especially when it comes to original material? You put that out for free, and as entertainers, selfishly, we want people to come see us, and frankly, we want to get paid to do it. Is there any yeah. apprehension for you to put all of this out for free? Not for me personally. Uh, I I see a lot of my friends out there making music. Uh, many of them are are completely full time musicians. I mean, I, I'm not a full time musician. I, I like I said, I got a day gig. Uh, I got a few day gigs, and so I mean, you know, I mean, other than those not happening right now, and, and also my night gigs of not being able to play some music out. Uh, I. I'm not, I haven't felt the need to try to monetize anything right now. I just need to make music and share it out there. Um, whether it's cover music or original stuff, I mean, I'm not looking for anything out of it other than my own personal mental smile I'm going to get from actually performing quote-unquote live for other people that are going to watch it. Um, and hopefully people will enjoy it. I don't, I'm not looking for anything out of that right now. As Kevin said, he's got a day job and the means to support his music habit because it is a habit. Many of the musicians you see performing in area venues are like him. They have a nine to five that keeps the heat on and the bankers at bay, but they still have the need to perform. Okay, well, my name is Ray Smetana. I work in the auto industry as a day job and uh, met a musician 20, going on 30 years, I suppose. And uh, I started out, I did some did some acting in school, and, and but when I got with the music, it really, that's, I got the music bug, and I've been playing live music, uh, recording music ever since. Uh, I play the bass guitar, regular guitars. I play the steel guitar, pedal steel, banjo, and probably a few other instruments in there, too. And that's really it. Right now, I'm in the process of building a recording studio, and (laughs) (laughs) about a month before that, I I took a few years' worth of savings to invest. I I chuckle when you say you're, you're building a recording studio because you and I have known each other for... 43 years and (laughs) i think for 20 of those years that we've known each other you've been in the process of building a recording studio well unfortunately uh it's much like uh any artistic endeavor uh it's never done so it's it's an obsession uh you know i do it and i build it and then uh you know there's always an improvement i have an idea as i build it oh man i wish i had done this this way but right now i'm building a small mostly for personal use but 
the music industry is changing, and and I don't know that anybody knows what direction the future will have. Uh, as how much will this affect people's opinions of large gatherings or even small gatherings? You know, what the impact that will have on the live music scene? I mean, I it's only a, it's only a guess, I suppose. Uh, but also, music's in in people's soul. People don't want to. People are not going to abandon that. You know, there's there's some something that can only come from live music. It'll be challenging, I mean, like for many industries, but luckily for us, it's usually about having fun, so uh, it may not be as serious. And I'm not a full-time musician, so the effects are certainly not um, bearing on me the same way that it is that um, for people who depend on touring and live shows for to, to live. <laughs> How many gigs did you have on the calendar that, that got pulled off? I had a handful of gigs, but yeah, you know, the last gig uh, was a week before St. Patrick's Day, and and it was very tense, you know. And the crowd was was certainly a lot smaller, and people were starting to realize, hey, this is getting serious, you know. And at the end of the night, we packed up, and I shook the guys' hands I was playing with, and I said, hey, guys, uh, well, you know, I'll see you in a while. I believe this is the last uh, live music. We we close the set down and near two o'clock. So I think we might be the last band uh, playing live music for quite some time. And and it pretty much you know later that week, it, it, it you know people's attitudes really started changing and things started getting more serious and and people really started practicing social distancing. And that was you know kind of actually it, it reminded me of the uh, oh the old song. Uh, the day the music died, you know. At least in my lifetime, it's the first time that there had, would be no live music anywhere that weekend. And so it was a little surreal for me. They, there's a need, you know, an intrinsic need to get out and create and, and to give that uh, that gift of uh, art to, to people. So, I mean, you're seeing it on the Internet. People are, are discovering new ways to reach out to their fans and, and to people to, to bring some happiness, you know, a little joy into people's lives as well as it's therapeutic for the artists themselves to to create. Describe the feeling you get when the spotlights are on, the audience is watching you. It's a very elusive feeling. You know, playing music is always fun. It's always a good time. I always enjoy it. I can play music uh, by myself, and, and I enjoy it. But there's a certain feeling that comes along with the right tight band, a group of guys that are all on the same page, and everybody's firing. And it's it, it to me it's more like a trance when you get in the zone and it, it's almost like tunnel vision sets in and the music it feels like it's taking you, um, you know it, it's like a current flowing through you. Uh, I know it sounds slightly crazy, but that's that's the way it feels. It's a very intense feeling, and and I think that's for at least for live musicians. And there there's there's really no other feeling that you can get that is so intense and so you know you just keep chasing that feeling and that's why that's why musicians like the rolling stones you know they what do they have left to prove they have nothing left to prove they have all the money they could ever spend um but they're still chasing that feeling that's what i believe how much do you miss the communal nature of music that you know that it's, it's an identity i think that everybody enjoys being part of a group of people that are like-minded, you know. Uh, so that part is is there. Um, but I also think that a lot of artists in nature, especially the songwriters, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people do uh, enjoy some solitude. Uh, so I think for some it's definitely very difficult, and for others it's a it's a great time to reflect and really to get into the woodshed, as they say, for practice modes and, and, and to write. You know, I, I hope that people are writing right now and creating uh, because it's it's really an opportunity, although in the worst sense of conditions, but to make the best of it, there isn't much else you can do, and it's really a great time for, for some artists to, uh, to finish up projects that they're working on, you know. Ray, if you were able to lay down an entire album right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what well, I'm the- hoping to in, in two weeks. What would the title? <laughs> I've heard that for so many years. What would the title yeah. of your quarantine album be? What would be? Say that one more time. I'm sorry, if, I lost you a little bit. If you were able to record an album during this quarantine, all right, during the COVID nineteen pandemic, what is the name of your album? Oh yeah, you know, 
I, I have thought about that actually, you know, and I think it's, it's cliche, but I mean, it, I mean, maybe quarantine, you know, something off that, but I think that's, that's just going to be too simple. Um, and I suppose it would depend on the context of the, uh, if it were related to, just if the songs were written about and to the issues we're facing, and I might, um, you know, that might influence my decision. And also, I mean, I, I feel like a nod to the Rolling Stones, you know, they did the exile on Main Street, so, uh, you know, I, I, maybe exile on Michigan Ave. Do you think then that the the generation that's coming up now, not to sound like an old man, but sure. the reaction that I you thrive are. on, shut up, the, <laughs> the reaction I thrive on is that of a live audience, knowing that, that I've got them in the palm of my hand. There, there is a, a feeling of power that's associated, at least for me, of knowing that mm-hmm. the audience is paying attention to me or I'm taking them on an emotional journey, whatever type of performance it may be. The, uh, the new generation, yeah. though, seems to get their endorphins, uh, their ser- serotonin levels kicked up by likes and, yes. and hearts yeah. popping up. Is, is that going to change the feel and the sound and the appreciation of music? Well, that's a very good, that's a very good point, Scott, that, that their, their reward system, it seems to be, it, it is more hardwired to the uh, social networking style of, uh, of interaction. And that's, that's the one thing I, 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 that's got me pondering um, where this future will take us. And I, and I do think it's going it, to, you're going to see a more, um, more like a zoom type interactions where people are interacting in, in groups like that um, over the internet, you know, I know, for instance, my uh, my daughter, who's just home from college now because uh, you know they're not they're not in classes, but she's watching movie nights with her friends. They're watching the same movie, starting it at the same time, and, and doing it, uh, you know, over over video, um, so that they can be like watching a movie together. But I think that 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 may translate into live performance as well. I don't, I don't know. It's 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 very. It's going to be an interesting time, but, you know, things always change, so. Next up is comedian Kevin Zioli. Now, a little background first. I have moonlighted as a stand-up comedian for over 20 years, and on March 14th, I was in Munising, Michigan, performing stand-up comedy in a bowling alley. Now, in hindsight, I've made smarter decisions, but at the time, I hadn't realized the full impact of the coronavirus pandemic. That was the second of 10 gigs I'd lined up for the spring and was looking forward to doing some weekend travel and having extra spending money. I'm lucky in that I have a regular nine-to-five job with benefits that I rely on to pay my bills. My stand-up comedy coach, whom I met at Connections Comedy Club in Lansing, relies solely on comedy for his income. Kevin Zioli, I am a former comedian on uh, just a, I guess, a break from that right now, currently. Because of the coronavirus. How long have you been working as a comedian, that being your only source of income? Oh, wow. Probably uh, the last 10 or 12 years, I would say. As that the being the sole source, yeah. How many gigs did you have on the calendar that got pulled? Scott, probably at least the full next quarter. So, yeah, for the next quarter at least, and then throughout the, probably a, a six-month period. How big of a financial hit was that for you, being your, your sole means of, of income? <laughs> that was everything. Well, that was everything. That was a full hit on everything. 
you know, I, I, I guess I wasn't really, I thought that there may be a time that they would, uh, um, stop doing that. So I kind of got ahead of the curve a little bit, started putting money away, kind of stayed ahead of things a little bit, like a doomsday prepper, like a man in Alabama buried six feet under his house with a mobile home and a bigger vent to get in and out of. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Those guys are probably right now. I mean, I just now sitting underneath the ground, just flipping off the earth's crust. And everybody like, ah, we told you. Jimmy, give me a beer and a Slim Jim. <laughs> when when was you. your first stand-up gig? Do you remember your first one? My first stand-up gig, I it was at, um, gosh, Joey's in Livonia first stand-up and that was just an open mic did pretty well and then it went from there and I had been making people laugh my whole life you know my family and close friends so it was it was fairly simple the transition there but then became the writing and what people will accept and what they won't and there's there's a very fine line in that I got a chance to be back in front of the spotlight and uh, and make a difference in the way people think and it was more humorous so it was it was it was fun. It was fun. What was what's the feeling you get when the spotlight's on, you have the audience attention? How how do you describe that endorphin rush? That that serotonin? How how do you feel when you're when you're there? It's an excitement that's beyond anything. I think if you've ever anybody who's ever delved into any any type of uh enlightenment form of drug I think that's what it is. I mean, it's it, it's it's so um, fulfilling, and I think that most comics right now would just be like, "Look, I miss that, I miss that that peak of you know." It's like being. I would think it's at the top of a roller coaster because you're very uncertain where the direction is going to go, but you know it's going to be a blast. Are you experiencing withdrawals from the energy you get from a live audience? Oh my god! You know what I. Yes, all the time. I mean, that's that's comedy in any case. The reason I do it for a living is because I'm constantly doing it. When you're not doing it, you're, it, I mean, there's there's an upsetting part of that, I think, for any comic, because that's that draw that you need, man. You just got to have it. You got to be, I could laugh with you, and we do that quite a bit here, Scott Clough. <laughs> And I call you Scott Clough because once you promoted me as Kevin Zioli. So. <laughs> I time. like Scott Clough. It One fits time. better for the, the it's the Scott Clough morning show. I mean that's it fits. Um, but, um yeah. Back to the question. <laughs> um yeah, I guess um, I I mean I don't know. There's there's Actually, I forgot the question, so there's the other thing. <laughs> well, aside from missing the audience, artists in general, there, there's a communal nature. There's there's a, a conduit that we have both empathetic and energetic in that when we're around one another, there's a, there's a different kind of energy and there's a creative energy, and, and that's been lacking and it's even more than that because every day that I would I would uh, confront life, I would my goal my goal pretty much every day. And I don't know if you knew this about me, but I would I, I I like to make strangers laugh, and that and and my girl's been out with me, and we've and she's seen it. I I I love to make the most obscure things just funny to everyone, and I want to make people laugh because that's my goal every day. I want to make just a total stranger laugh at their job or do whatever and you can't even really do that anymore that I miss more than the money or more than the opportunity or more than anything because I live on you know I want people I want people to be happy you know and it, and it, and it's what I would love to see from just anyone you know the first place I met you was at uh, Connections Comedy Club, and having gone as a patron, I would always look back and I would see the stand-up comedians sitting at a table together, and I always imagined that that was the funniest place you could ever be in your life. And then I got to the comedian's table, and I realized these are some of the most depressed people I've ever met in my entire life. Are you concerned about your stand-up comedian friends? 
I, you know what? I, I guess I am a little bit because there it's, it's, you know, I mean, you look at, you know, when you look at guys like Robin Williams who are on top of the world and they're still dealing with issues. I, I you know, I think it's, um, I don't know. I guess I would worry about most people. I've never been that sort of a big dark depressionary person. Cause I'm, I'm a guy that will just sit with you simply and you could hand me a, a plastic fork and I'm going to make jokes out of that plastic fork. You know what I mean? Because then I wonder, does the plastic fork always look up to the steel metal forks and say, and is that what they aspire to be one day? <laughs> I'm doing that as I'm looking at a plastic fork right now. So who do you think would the, the plastic forks Geppetto would be if the plastic fork was the Pinocchio of the the tableware world? I would like to think it was just a big southern guy <laughs> that was like, you know all the uses for a fork? Hey, Billy, if we ever get stuck in our our quarantine quadrant, that's what I like to call it, the Q squared, <laughs> quarantine quadrant below six feet below the ground. Billy, you got to be six feet down. That's why. You have to be, man, because that's the given level. What if you only Something brought... happen tomorrow. What if they only yeah. had sporks? Sporks are the greatest invention known to man, Scott Cloud. Don't you dare. Sporks started out as a guy who messed up on the cutting line of spoons. And then Taco Bell thought, well, we're we on to something there. You've got the use of a fork that you can't use as a fork. <laughs> like, <laughs> you ever try to eat spaghetti with a spork? You just can't do it. You can't, you can't twist it. The best you could have is maybe SpaghettiOs. Because statistics will show that over 50% of marriages now end in divorce. All I'm thinking is, what do we do about those poor kids from those broken homes? What are they gonna sing? So I wrote a couple lines for them. <laughs> Mike and Sheila sitting in court. Mike's trying to know where his child's <laughs> Kevin Zioli coming to a stage near you, more than likely with a spork. Kevin has been seen many times in the Irish Hills, the Nightlight, and even the Michigan Theater in downtown Jackson, one of my favorite venues. Thinking of it sitting empty for the last month or even longer is unsettling. Uh, my name is Steve Tucker. I've performed since I was about 17 as a, I guess, a professional. When you get paid, I guess that's what you're called. So, yeah, about 17, I started getting paid. Before that, I got paid not to play. And then uh, I taught high school English and creative writing at Jackson College in eastern Michigan and retired in 2009. And in 2012, I took a job downtown Jackson, which ends up being the job that I'm currently in, the one that I really do love uh, the, as the executive director of the Michigan Theater of Jackson. How has... Well, what was the last show, the last performance, the last public gathering that was held at the Michigan Theater? I think we had a film on the 7th or 8th of March. We had a film scheduled for the 12th, and we didn't show it. And the 13th, we had a concert scheduled, and we had to postpone that. So that was a big, that was with like over 600, almost 700 people uh, what, for the what, 13th. What concert was that? Uh, low Cash. He rescheduled himself for the 29th of uh, August. So we're hopeful that by the 29th of August, we have reached phase three. So 2012 to 2020, there's a tremendous amount of momentum. There's an awful lot that's happening. The theater, the, the facade, the, the, the marquee, uh, yeah. the actual interior of the building, the beautiful ornate ceilings, they're getting repaired. Things are happening. And then Friday, March 13th happens. Yeah. What was right, and the, we got the call because we were part of, you know, I kind of thought it might be coming. I didn't, I honestly didn't think it would be to this magnitude. Uh, it, it's just something that's just beyond my, it's beyond my ability to, to think like that. that. Oh my gosh, everything I, you know, from 65 years, everything I've ever done or known, is, it's not, there's been nothing like this. And suddenly to uh, be confronted with this, well, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to go in right now and do everything I can do 
cleaning the floors and disinfecting the entire theater, hoping that it was just going to be a you know quick turnaround. And then we didn't. So I had all the uh, employees. I go, okay, let's let's uh, why don't you guys go ahead and file for unemployment because I don't know how long it's going to be. And then we we uh, applied for the PPP loan and the, the MEDC loan, and we've been pretty lucky in that direction. So. I know we have to have everybody hired back by June 30th, but again, by June 30th, we have to reach a certain phase to have more than 10 people in the theater. And it's gonna be difficult to stay afloat when you can only have 10 people in the theater. So we gotta figure out a way to, we have to figure out a way to consolidate everything. And uh, luckily my staff is good. They're they're solid. So. How tough was it to make the phone calls to the entertainers that you had and let them know, sorry? Everybody knew. They weren't going anywhere. You know, you look online right now, every entertainer in the world that, uh, you, that's been a superstar is doing stuff in their kitchen, you know, with the cat crawling around behind them. Um, so everybody knew what was happening. Everybody knew we were kind of in this whole thing together. It's kind of a great equalizer, you know. Everybody's, everybody's in the same boat. Everyone, everyone. The Michigan Theater, one of my favorite places to perform, my favorite place to go watch live performances here in Jackson. No slight to any other venues, but how difficult is it, as someone who is a performer as well, to not be around, whether it be other folks that perform or other people that truly appreciate the venue that is the Michigan Theater? What, what kind of effect has that had on you? kind of numbing really uh it's uh, i've suffered a, I, i'd be lying to you if i said i was around here uh you know painting all the trim on the, in the house and I, i've been a little bit paralyzed and i don't know if i'm alone i might be the only guy that's kind of sleeping a lot and watching a lot of television and sitting kind of pretty hard on my fanny so i'm not i've not been like one of these guys that's motivated so i kind of know that's what i'm supposed to do is i'm supposed to be working at the michigan theater and Anything other than that, I'm like, <laughs> it's almost useless around here. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people. You know, I've been in touch with a lot of people, and I've watched a lot of their, their shows. Uh, there's been a collective gasp, and now a collective sort of, uh, I'm in limbo. And like everyone else, uh, we're just waiting for direction. I'm afraid that the theater, however, and some of the restaurants are going to have the harder time of getting back into the uh, the old normal there's got to be a way to do it and there's got to be a way to pull it off first of all we physically we have enough physical space to maintain distancing mm -hmm. it, uh, physically it can be done say anthony and i roll out the grand piano together we're gloved and we're masked we're standing far enough apart we set the monitors all of the uh all of the microphones we disinfect all of those regularly anyways but we have to meet all our criteria. I'm sure of that. When I feel at home, when I feel most at ease, is honestly in that spotlight with a stool and a mic stand. and yep. Or maybe here in the studio with the mic on, my headphones on. What kind of feeling, I guess, do you get as the person that is in charge of a venue when you look out into an, an audience, and whether it's a musician, a comedian, a performer of any type, a band, whatever it is, what kind of feeling goes through when you look out and you see whomever it is on stage making an emotional connection with hundreds, maybe thousands of people at a time? Um, there's, it's, like a, it's like that tingle one gets in their face and their, in their ears, and they kind of go... Uh, the electrifying actually it's kind of electrifying i remember the first show that i had seen that i had been a part of uh, as executive director was travis tripp we had 1334 people every seat was full even the 125 down front there were probably 15 people backstage and we're working with travis tripp and uh i i, I got on there and introduced the show and it, i'm telling you it was a collective roar from everybody and it just vibrated. What a thrill that was. And, you know, my face just kind of tingled, you know. I can't really, 
I can only equate it with like winning uh, something great or being part of a baseball team that won a big game or, you know, it was that moment of elation where you go like, oh, wow, did it. And then you get up the next morning and go, how are we going to do it again? <laughs> it's addicting, isn't it? Oh, it's so, it's so weird. You know, if I couldn't, if I didn't play, if I, if I wasn't a musician before this, maybe I would have never understood, but maybe they're re- closely related, you know the art of performance and then our performance at the theater is kind of like was it a successful night did did everybody get in get out are we everybody get safe was it a nice night people have fun and no one got hurt and that's always the thing so when when the crew we probably don't get to see very many shows i think i saw travis tripp maybe play about 16 bars on his guitar that night you know 30 seconds of the show because we're working it you know so our goal is is totally reversed. Did we? It's all about the achievement of the item in front of us. Can we pull this off? Can we bring in a thousand people, make sure they're happy and safe, and get them out of here and have a successful night? And that's kind of where we are. That that to us is our big home run. What is the title of your album that you're creating during quarantine? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> alone and germ free <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell everybody this is your song it may be quite simple but now that it's done Hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down in words. How wonderful life is on your world. So the artists themselves and the venues have felt the financial and emotional impact of the quarantine, but what about the people that have built their business around artists and venues? How has this affected them? Looking for answers? I called the guy who books myself and so many others to entertain in Jackson and around the country. Yeah, uh, Jason Douglas, uh, 41 years old. I have a company called The Comedian Company. Pretty much just like the the name says, we book stand-up comedians. Everything from corporate events, private parties, some nightclubs and bars, but the majority of it is corporate events, churches as well. Yeah, book about 1,000 comedians coast to coast really a core group of probably 250 comedians are in the the rotation quarterly bread and butter of our business is the touring stand-up comedians that you don't know their names but they're hilarious and they've been doing it for many years how many gigs got pulled off your books uh, pulled uh, around 130 shows off the books for comedians which luckily probably 95 percent of those customers told us they're going to reschedule but we just have a, a question mark right now of when that's going to be you are a comedian yourself yes how long have you been doing stand-up i started march 26 1998 so uh during the shutdown i had my 22 year anniversary so as an entertainer as someone who's had the spotlight on and the microphone there and the crowd hanging on every word you're saying when you do it right yeah, when you when you do it right, right. Describe what you feel when you're doing it. Oh, I uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a rush, and it's uh, it's like a mental chess game as well because you're thinking you're telling the joke, but while you're telling the joke, you're in your mind thinking about, well, am I going to tell joke B or joke C next, depending on how this is, you know, where this crowd is elevated to. For someone that hasn't been on stage, who hasn't experienced that, is it something that you need? Is it something that you feel empty without getting that? Well, I do miss comedy. This is uh, the longest I've ever went without being on stage. Um, I haven't been on stage in, uh, I lose track of days now because of COVID-19 because I have nothing to do. I haven't been on stage in about five, five and a half weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely miss it. And uh, uh, as soon as we can get on stage, I want to be on stage. How do you feel that the, the world of stand-up is doing, especially the guys that you book that rely on this solely for their income? 
Uh, I mean, stand-up is, is decimated right now. It's We're very similar, I guess, to the, the cruise ship industry. We're just on, you know, we're shut down. I have booked uh, around seven or eight shows around the country through Zoom or WebEx where the comedian does the jokes to a small group of people at a company over the Internet. Uh, I'm not a huge believer in that as a the best form of stand-up comedy because I think comedy needs to be done live and interaction with the crowd and it's uh, but it is something so it does it does get some comedians some money uh, just yesterday I was talking to one of my good uh, comedian buddies who does the cruise ships and uh, the cruise ship comics make really good money and uh, he was just telling me how his just uh, you know tens of thousands of dollars are just wiped off the books and he doesn't know how the cruise ships are going to get back to that. Uh, but the Zoom shows and the FaceTime shows that we've been booking, I mean, they're getting guys with two or three late-night TV credits for pennies on the dollar. So it's not anywhere close to the... Nobody who brings in a $2,000 comedian for their corporate uh, banquet is going to give somebody $2,000 to tell some jokes online for 10 minutes. So it's, it's, it's a Band-Aid to an axe wound. You are very close with an awful lot of stand-up comedians. How concerned are you for their well-being right now? Uh, mental health-wise, I think that a lot of comedians are going to and are struggling. Uh, especially, I mean, we're kind of social creatures as stand-up comedians. We're in front of these audiences. We're talking to people. Now they're in their houses, and uh, they're not getting that, you know, you don't get to do what you love. It's... Uh, not necessarily like working in a, a factory where it's it's hard and you when you have a week off you don't miss it we actually miss this job some comedians luckily uh because of the uh the six hundred dollar uh unemployment for independent contractors which i think is nationwide for the gig economy workers i think a lot of comedians are actually financially okay because there's uh, from, there's a few different levels of comedians. There's the, like, say, the cruise ship comedians. Those guys and gals are making real good money, so they're taking a hit. The road comic who's on the road doing bar gigs three nights a week, if he's getting 600 a week to stay home, he's actually doing better than he was before stand-up comedy. But he's missing out on comedy, or he or she. It's just so hard with uh, health care and all that stuff you don't figure into. And, and this is this was a crazy year because... Uh, over about about five years ago, the trajectory of my business, I saw it. It just started to go straight up. So the economy about five years ago started to go up, and over the last couple of years, it had just really skyrocketed. Each year, breaking records by each month, year over year, breaking records by 7 to 10%. I had at least five or six really good comedians who quit their day jobs and were like, we're going to do this full time, and I I tell I tell people I, I kind of push people away from doing comedy full time because it's hard. But uh, I'm really concerned about those people because they quit their jobs within the last six months. I have no idea how much money they had saved up. You know, when a gig gets wiped off the books, when March, April, and May get wiped off your books, as a comedian, you're you're just out that money. There's, you know, you're not getting those gigs. I mean, you'll get them back later, but you're not getting that pay when you anticipated it. Comedy, the the formula that is always bantied about is tragedy plus time equals yes, comedy. Yes. How soon then do you think it'll be before there are Corona and COVID nineteen sets? Oh, I think immediately. I think I think to, to not acknowledge it, uh, I feel. Haven't all of us written like about twenty hilarious COVID nineteen jokes by now, just sitting around? Uh, I mean, I've posted uh, uh, tons of COVID nineteen jokes on on state or on Facebook, and uh, I'm sure a few of them will make it into my act. And within hopefully a year or two, they'll be so hacky that we'll all stop doing them because COVID will be so far behind us. It'll be like doing a Bill Clinton joke nowadays. So, what's your your favorite bit you're working on right now? The concept. Ah, uh, let's see here. Well, I, I'm working on a concept of making uh, fake IDs to get into Walmart earlier in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite jokes that I just wrote was uh, this COVID-19 has uh, stopped my wife and I after our lovemaking from our handshake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I got a couple of jokes that have come out of this that will probably stay in the act. And that joke with the 
the with the wife and the handshaking, I could probably keep that joke during flu season every year. <laughs> if you were able to record an album right now at home during quarantine, what's the title of that album, Jason? Oh, <laughs> gotcha. I've never thought of that. That would. Uh... Um, is this over yet? Uh, it's, it's nice to talk to you about this, and uh, I think you told me to talk to Kevin uh, as well, uh, Zioli, who uh, you know is a boots on the ground comedian for 25 years, who helped both of us when we were both getting started. And uh, I think we're going to get through this. I mean, everybody needs to laugh, and uh, outside of hydroxychloroquine, it's the second best medicine right now. 15 years ago, when I first started doing stand-up comedy. And after the show, I, uh, no lie, this doesn't happen very often, but I, this woman came up to me, and I was like 22 at the time, and she was like 40, she was like a cougar. And yeah, and she goes, let's go back to my place and have a drink. Go back to her place and we're having a drink, and then she says to me, she goes, I want you to tie me up. Yeah, I never tied up a woman before. You have, sir, haven't you? <laughs> I didn't know. I tied her up too good. I found out you're not supposed to tie them up real good. She couldn't move or nothing. Now I get this lady tied up, and she's like, "Do what comes natural." I'm from Detroit. I took her TV and left. <laughs>When I proclaimed to my parents that I was going to make my living entertaining people as educators, they had their doubts. But when they realized I wasn't going to be swayed, they had me have a conversation with this man. I'm Bruce Hammond. I'm from Brooklyn, Michigan, class of 86 from Columbia Central, and I reside in Las Vegas currently, and I'm a singer and an actor, uh, performer, and do some Sinatra, salute to Sinatra shows on my own. I'm involved in uh, the Rat Pack show here in Las Vegas. The Rat Pack is back. I cover that Sinatra, and then I am um, uh, Frank Sinatra for Sandy Hackett's Rat Pack show. And I produce a Rat Pack show with my uh, working uh, business partner, Seth Abrams, that plays Dean Martin, a member of Screen Actors Guild, too. So I audition and, and still do um, commercial work and try to, you know, keep working in television and film a little bit. When was the last time you did a cruise ship? Well, I did a cruise ship uh, right at the beginning of January. And as you know, of course, the, the cruise lines are just frozen right now. And so any of the bookings for Crystal are really up in the air, just like a lot of things. But um, no one really knows when the cruise ships are going to get back and going. And I've just kind of got into that company over the last years. So as someone that relies upon public gatherings and entertaining as a, as a living, how is this affecting you financially and emotionally? <laughs> uh Emotionally, I'm all right, but um, financially, uh, terrible. You know, uh, I had a, with Sandy Hackett's Rat Pack show, we had a show in, in New Mexico on the 13th, and that was the, when this really started uh, getting bad. That was the first one that got canceled, and I had a corporate, uh, I was going to do a Frank Sinatra for a corporate event the following week um, in Vegas here, and that, of course, was canceled. Um Merrily We Roll Along uh, is a Sondheim show uh, that suppo- was supposed to run that I was under contract for. for is going to just run for 10th, June 10th through 14th with a few weeks rehearsal, but it's a 1,200-seat Civic Center there in Farmington, New Mexico. That one got pushed, luckily, to next year, January, so I'm still going to get to do it. And I'm supposed to do Mamma Mia uh, at that same theater in New Mexico, July 1st through the 19th. And that one is, you know, July 1. That's a little questionable. We're supposed to start rehearsal on June 14th. So that's up in the air. That's a five-weeker. There's a whole bunch of them. You know, Atlantic City had a Rat Pack show that opened a few months back, and I know the people in it. And the Frank Sinatra, uh, Brian Dupre, they're going to extend the show. They're doing 1,200 people a show out there in Atlantic City. It's a huge hit. They're doing it on the weekends. and So I was lined up to cover the Frank Sinatra for a handful of shows in September because he's committed, but that, I don't know what's going to happen with that show. And uh, was going to try to get back to the Barn Theater in August to do some things, and they have planned a season, but that's up in the air. So everything... Everything's got a question mark next to it 
for me um, until almost December where I have things that are booked that won't change for the last few weeks of December. But, yeah, it's a, it's a big question mark right now, sir. I think some of us are genetically engineered to need that. And when we don't get it, there's something that happens to us, sir. Are you experiencing any of that? A longing? Oh, yeah. Um, well, um, yeah, you experience laziness for one thing. And um, you've all, you know, there's always something that you're working on, the next one. And um, the next, uh, you know, show that you're in or the next thing you're going to be doing. And you always have a few of those. So that keeps you occupied because you're getting ready for the next thing. And when there is no next thing and you just don't have any dates ahead of you, it's, yeah, it's it's frustrating and it's hard to get yourself to work on this stuff. At the same time, I'm just very confident that um, the time will go by fast and, you know, a month from now things will be swinging and, and everything will get going again. So I just keep reminding myself to be patient and um, it is a little scary right now. Do you think it'll all go back to the way it was before? Yeah. Um, I just hope that I, – I just don't know how long it'll take, and I hope that uh, once we get into the summer that there's a way of opening up these performances, and I know people want entertainment and to find a way to do it uh, safely. And, you know, I don't know if everybody sits in the theater with a gold mask on, or I don't know – I don't know how to do it. People are now increasingly <laughs> on lockdown. We're turning to artists more and more. Uh, we're, we're listening to more music. We're watching more streaming. I mean, the average person right now statistically is streaming eight hours of Netflix on a daily basis. That's a nationwide oh my God, average. that much. Wow. Eight hours, Bruce. And, and some of those <laughs> were wasted on the abomination, the... the <laughs> proven way to decrease one's intelligence the way to suck the life out of you that is the tiger king um what a fantastic psychological um <laughs> if you were if you were a uh, or had a psychology major i would think that show would be fantastic uh, because of all the characters on it who do you most want to play in the tiger king well, you know, of course I want to play uh, Joe Exotic, and, um, you know, I don't know what it says about me, but uh, I've been too that pretty for the, that. the first three days that it was out, and, and I miss Joe Exotic a little bit. Uh, what a character. But I'm not right for Joe Exotic, but I think there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple guys that I would like to play, <laughs> to play in that show, but Joe Exotic, uh, yeah, you know, I'm a ham bone. I, I certainly would want to do that part. What is the title okay. of your quarantine album? Oh, wow. Tough question. It might be Salute to Sinatra, if it's okay to use that. Um, <laughs> what song does Frank have that best sums up the feelings that one gets during quarantine? That's like These little town For the record, I know that's not, that's life. But with the pandemic, I had to rely on YouTube as getting things across the country in time for the deadline. Just wasn't going to happen. And with that, after a trip through Napoleon with Kevin Nichols and wrapping up with Brooklyn, Michigan via Las Vegas and Bruce Hammond, is this week's episode of Jackson Stays Home. Thanks again to Kevin Nichols at kevinnichols.com for your time this week and the Jackson Stays Home theme. Race Matana, who, as of the completion of this podcast, has yet to complete his studio. Kevin Zioli, who more than likely now has a full 20-minute set on Sporks. Steve Tucker, patiently waiting to open the doors and turn on the marquee at the Michigan Theater. Can't wait for that popcorn. Jason Douglas at thecomediancompany.com. And Bruce Hammond. It will be coming back home and performing at the Michigan Theater and Barn Theater this year. Fingers crossed. 
To hear and see performances from this week's guests, go to wkhm.com slash Jackson Stays Home and click on the entertainment episode for the links. Tune in next week as we continue to look at the impact the coronavirus has had on Jackson, focusing this time on how churches have had to change the way they reach their congregants. I'm Scott Clow, and this is Jackson Stays Home, a production of McKibben Media Group and WKHM News. In the place it comes.